Welcome to the Stuck in Rut Podcast. Got him. Dropped him. Nice shot, buddy. We are excited to bring you our stories and hunting tips to elevate your outdoor adventures and experiences. We aim to uncover the real, raw strategies of do-it-yourself hunting that will bring your dreams to life and generate success. To follow along with our yearly hunts, subscribe to Stuck in the Rut on YouTube. Hey guys, welcome back to the Stuck in the Rut podcast. This week we have my buddy Tyler Frill coming on. Doing a lot of talking about different things in Alaska, but primarily sheep hunting. Tyler is a straight-up sheep murderer, and he won't say it, but I think he's up to 11 or 12 different rams he's killed. And so we dive into that, and we talk about all things Alaska and his perspective living in Fairbanks. So I hope you like it, and thanks for listening. Cool, let's get going, and Tana can kind of facilitate us. And Oh, I'm just here. Just talk hunting. Adam's like, I got this. <laughs> I've got this with Tyler. But He's my guest. I might throw in some questions here and there. But just how was your winter? I mean, obviously you're pretty busy, but tell us about how your Alaska winter has been. No, our winter's been kind of a, I don't know, kind of a rough one. It's... It was super long and super cold. Um, I don't know. It didn't bother me too bad because I, I stayed busy. About the first half of the winter, I was really I was shooting my bow a lot and kind of focusing on that, and uh, didn't really skip. Didn't really skin much this winter, but um, I mean, I've had various other stuff to keep me busy, and that seems to be the the biggest thing for for just getting through the winter up here or anywhere is, is, is something to, something to keep you busy, but man, it was cold and, and got a lot of snow. I think they were saying it was like, it's been like the coldest winter in 44 years or something like that in Fairbanks. Of course they were saying that in February and it hadn't, you know, winter's just finally broke really here. Just the other day, it finally hit 50 degrees. Nice. Yeah. Same with here. It's, it was a pretty cold winter here even. Yeah, we had a real winter. King it was Salmon. real. There's a lot of snow. It was awesome. Yeah, I loved I, it. I don't know if I told you, Tana, but I'd call Tyler up and he'd answer from like, "Hey, man, how's it going?" I'm like, "Oh," and he sounded pretty eager. And I'm like, "How you doing?" He's like, "Oh, <laughs> just haven't talked to an adult in like 20, 24 hours." So yeah, how's it going? <laughs> He's all excited. And I'm like, "Yeah, you can yeah. only you can only watch so much Paw Patrol." Before. Yeah, when my wife's my wife's a nurse at the hospital, so when she's working, I, I watch the kids and. And I love them to death, but man, it, it drives you nuts. You definitely want to, you'll start like dialing random numbers on the phone, just trying to get the first adult who will talk to you. <laughs> yeah, especially on lockdown. Good for you for doing that. Staying home with kids. That's, it's that's hard. Got two, so, you know, you guys got, you guys got your hands full. Yeah, yeah but Adam helps a lot because I have to work from home. So he's been home. He'll help. I'm like, you're tagged in. You're principal daddy today because, you know, we're schooling from home right now with everything going on. And he helps out a lot for sure. It's it's just bad that I can't do a 10-year-old common core math. I look at this stuff and I'm just like, what do you expect me to do? I know that 15 plus 12 is 27. I know the answer, but I don't know how to do it common core. So that's where I struggle and sit here. Just do this. This is how you do math, okay? Yeah, I don't. I, I'm not looking forward to that portion because I, I, I don't. I don't understand any. Like, I don't understand anything about it. You know, I haven't haven't had to dive into it myself yet to even try to understand why they're doing things they're doing. I just remember when we were kids, like 
It's like you just learned how to do math in your head, basic math and your multiplication tables and all that stuff, you know. I don't know. I know. Well, sweet man, uh, why don't you kind of introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about Tyler Friel and uh, what's your story? Well, yeah, um, I I live up in Fairbanks, obviously. Um, I kind of I was born in in Southern Colorado and grew up down there. My dad uh, my dad was born here in Fairbanks, and his parents had moved up here after World War II. Um, my grandpa, I guess, had won had won a bunch of money in a poker game after everybody got paid um, in Germany at the end of World War II, and it ended up getting out by the skin of his teeth with like 10,000 bucks and used it to move up here. And so my dad and all, all his brothers and sisters were born up here. And, um, my grandpa passed away in the early seventies when my dad was a kid and they moved, my grandma moved him back to Colorado. So we kind of, I've got family in both places and, uh, I don't know, growing up, you know, it wasn't a bad place to grow up, but I, uh, I definitely wouldn't move back. We, we moved up here when I was 16. So, um yeah it's 17 going on 17 years ago and uh man it was it was definitely a change but uh but i could never i could never see myself leaving it's definitely home um i just like everybody else i've kind of done various things to, to get by up here I, most of my adult life i worked as a pipe insulator um working on a lot of commercial jobs up here it's a company that my my uncle owned and then my dad bought from him and so i've you know worked kind of worked for the family business for a long time and um i got a i got a mechanical engineering degree from the university here and while i was in my my senior year of that i think it was my was it it wasn't the last semester but uh i was bored in a night class one time goofing on my computer and i'd read outdoor life magazine since i was a kid you know so i I don't know how I found myself on their website, but I saw where you could you could upload some some pictures. And being a smart ass kid at the time, I I uploaded a few I, I uploaded a few of my uh, cheap pictures. And uh, then a couple of days later, I get a I get an email from this guy Alex Robinson, who was like a just started like was one of the peon editors there, and asked me if I could you know if I wanted to write an article about something like trapping or something like that for their, for online. And to long story short, it turned out that they were looking for someone to do this, to do this blog program. Um, they had already got Aaron Snyder and they wanted someone else to do this, this blog program for their website, which, uh, was kind of, it was kind of ahead of its time. It was based on like, it was before the big social media, you know, like just exploded, um, Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. But it was based on like, telling your hunting stories like as like as quickly as possible all you know call it live hunt called it live hunt um that's all a lot of details and i could really get off in the weeds but uh long story short i got this that's how i got started working for outdoor life and over the years i've done different stuff for them and it's changed a little bit but uh basically now that's kind of what i do is is just write and do um videos and digital content for them um basically get to screw off for a living if most people if uh if you're asked most people <laughs> yeah that's uh that's a good program <laughs> yeah that's awesome a lot of perks so that's a full-time gig then for you 
Yeah, pretty much. Um, I'm all like independent contract work, work, work with them. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, I could, I could do, I could always do more, but with the way, you know, just the way our life's working right now with, you know, me watching the kids while my wife's at work and, and whatnot, it, it works out pretty well, you know, and, and not never going to get rich doing it, but, um, there's some cool perks and it's definitely nice to, I get, I get a lot of time to go do the stuff I like to do. I mean, I get, get paid to do the stuff I would choose to do for free anyway. So, yeah, I think that's all of our dream, right? <laughs> get paid to do what we love. Um, yep. I do have a question for you though, because I moved to Alaska when I was, I think 19 by myself. And it was like the second my foot stepped in Alaska I knew it was home and I was like, I'm not leaving this place. Was it like that for you or did it take you some time to realize that you loved Alaska? No, it definitely, it definitely was like that for me. I, I was, cause what I was, I just finished my sophomore year of high school or was finishing it up when my dad told us we were informed us that we were moving. And, uh, I was, I don't know, all, growing up as a kid, I'd always wanted to come up here, you know, as my dad came up here for a couple summers and to go hunting and stuff like that with my uncles. But, uh, I'd always dreamed of coming up here, but I, I was a little upset initially when they were talking about it. Uh, cause I wanted to stay and play football. Yeah. But, uh, I uh, got over that pretty quick. And basically, yeah. <laughs> as soon as we were up here, you know, I, and I actually, sometimes I, I miss playing football, but, uh, yeah, by the time, by the time I got up here, I, I it, it was just over for me, you yeah. know? So I ended up, yeah, there's definitely way more to life than playing sports. So, you know, for hunting, sure. you know, hunt and hunting and fishing and stuff like that. And just living up here, it, it was, it was a pretty smooth transition. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how it was for me too. I realized, man, why didn't I quit sports earlier? Like I should have just moved to Alaska earlier and <laughs> you know, just started hunting because it's just such an incredible place for that. But did you have any experiences firsthand when you first moved here, you know, either a hunting experience or something that just got in your blood and it was like, man, that was crazy. I, I'm never leaving this place. Oh man, I know it was funny. One of the the initial this isn't really like that, but one of the initial things it, it kind of threw me off up here. The biggest thing was that you can't the visibility where I grew up. You could it's all like in a big like alpine valley, but it's all sagebrush and stuff. You can see forever. You always know like where you're at mm -hmm. based on landmarks. Well, in the interior anyway, driving around like it's just trees. I couldn't believe how how thick everything was. Yeah. Um, and, and people, you know, being right around Fairbanks is way more people than I ever grew up around. So it, it was like, it was a little bit of a culture shock kind of, but it, which is, it's a little ironic because you move to Alaska and then there's all these people right here, but it was something I really wasn't expecting, but you can get away from, it doesn't, it doesn't take too much to get really away from everybody. Um, as far as hunting experience, um, yeah, I'd say it was, I, it was a year after we, or a little over a year after we moved. Cause I was a rent my first year as a resident when I was 17, I killed the, the biggest bull moose I still have ever killed. We were on a pike fishing trip in September, just goofing off. And I had, you know, have had my moose tag and, um, came around a bend and 
big bull standing in the slough. Long story short, I he, he he got off the slough before I could get out of the cab of the boat, and uh, and we kept going, and it was kind of a big oxbow and came around, and so we figured we'd go in there and look, and it was open once you got off the water, and ended up shooting this bull right in the middle of this big swamp at about um, you know right at the top of your hip boots water. Ugh. And uh, <laughs> nice, gross. As soon as it fell down, I was with my dad and my uncle and my little brother, and I can't remember if it was. I think it was my uncle said to my dad that bull, like he looked like he was just in grass, and when he fell over and started kicking, you see the water splash up. And my uncle <laughs> turns away and I said, "Do you know what our dad would say to us right now?" Because <laughs> my because my grandpa, I get he was the type he would never shoot a moose he couldn't back his truck up to. Smart. Smart man. <laughs> not not me, but yeah, he's way smarter oh. than me. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I don't know. That was a pretty pretty colorful, colorful first experience. It's still the biggest moose I've ever killed. But uh, how big was, was that we, one? He was right at sixty. Nice. So a, little, a baby, a baby out where you guys are at. <laughs> <laughs> not really. That's a good bull. No, that's a good bull. Sure. I don't know if I'd ever shoot one in water though. It'd have uh, to be a pretty big one <laughs> to not, do that. Not not advisable. And we we got lucky too because it was it was in the evening, and so and uh, what they my dad and uncle went to work on right away. And we you know yanked the guts out, and didn't even skin him, just cut quarters off. And I drug him. He was right in the middle, so it was actually it was it was a little closer to to keep drag him straight to the other side of the clearing. Um, and I just drug all the quarters out of the water to get it, to get them out. And, uh, we had to leave the, like the chest cavity and neck and head in the water because it was getting dark and we wouldn't be able to get back to camp, but it was getting so cold. We, we broke almost the in, you know, half an inch of ice to get out to him the next morning. And oh, wow. uh, it was, it ended up being okay. You know, we figured we, it wouldn't spoil leaving the hide on, um, and it didn't, we didn't really lose any meat off of him, but it was a chore getting him. We had to pack him about 500 yards to the boat and I haven't packed one that far since. I'll tell that, you that. Yeah, that's not fun and <laughs> well, just a pain being in that much water. I say, I say pack, we didn't, there were no pack frames involved. It was dragging and like over the shoulder carrying. So it was even less fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's a good first experience. Yeah. I would say for Alaska. <laughs> good teaching. It's a lot of fun. So, what's your favorite animal to hunt cuz you live in interior? I mean, you are obviously a very avid hunter, trapper, everything. What would be your, you know, top hunt or turkeys? Favorite animal. Tur- I think I know the answer, <laughs> I but I want to hear answer. it from you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have killed one turkey, so I don't know why. I mean, it's it's fun, but I would have trouble, you know, the, in, especially in a state where you can only kill like one or two birds. I would struggle with that because it anyway, um, yeah, my favorite ones, de- it almost depends on the time of year a little bit. But my favorite animal hunts definitely sheep um, between sheep and grizzly bear. I, I, I love hunting grizzly bears in the spring and sheep in the fall. Um, I mean, I've been, I've been hunting sheep almost every year since I was 18 and, uh, I kind of got lucky the first one, you know, got some, was in good shape and got good, good information 
from my uncle, you know, he, he pointed me in a, in a decent area and everything just happened to work out. And I like to think that I would have stuck with it if I hadn't got one that first trip, but that definitely cemented that as, as my favorite, my favorite thing to hunt. And, uh, hasn't, hasn't let up. Someone asked me the other day, how many, how many Rams do I want? And that's, yeah, as many as I can get. <laughs> or until, <laughs> yeah. I, or until I don't feel like killing one, you know? Yeah. We're not sitting in your man cave or anything, but how many, I, you have all of them shoulder mounted. Is that right? Um, all but one, the one I got this last year, uh, my buddy Frank just cleaned up the stall for me. Okay. Um, and I, I traded the Cape towards outstanding taxidermy debt. So <laughs> understandable. Yeah. The mounts up here, it's crazy to get stuff mounted. It's very expensive. Um, coming from the lower 48, we need to do a deer for 450 bucks. Um, yeah. And it's, and yeah, it's, and, and the thing with sheep especially is there's such a, I don't know. It seems like there's a lot more. Well, obviously there's a lot more deer, deer and deer hunters, but, uh, you know, sheep are a, a touchy one to get mounted. There's not a lot of guys I would trust with one of my sheep. Yeah. They're just a finesse, almost like I wouldn't say as, as much as mountain lion, but you can get the bug eyed weird look really fast. Um, but some of the, some of the top tier guys are closer to two grand and, they only go like off referrals. I've heard, you know, they're just really high end yeah. taxidermy. Yeah, well, and the guy and the guy I use is kind of nearing, basically gearing down towards retirement. You know, I can still, I'll be able to ha have he'll do do my work for me, but uh, yeah. uh, kind of kind of kind of throttling back. And uh, he, you know, he's the best. His his sheep, you know. And having been getting them done for, for for fifteen years, his sheep are definitely, in my opinion, the best I've seen in Alaska. And, yeah, you know, I'm, there's there's a handful there's a handful of good sheep taxidermists, you know, peppered peppered throughout North America, but not a lot. And I and it, it is kind of like cats. Cats are cats are probably the other thing I would say that are really tough, whether it's a mountain lion or a lynx or bobcat. I mean, they're super, those faces are super easy to mess up and make them look like Pet cemetery, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely the bug-eyed look. some interesting ones. Yeah, my brother-in-law, Tana's youngest brother, Trevor, came up and shot a really good 38-inch ram, a 10-year-old, the first year we went, and uh, took it back to a buddy I went to high school with back in North Idaho and got a pedestal done. That thing turned out phenomenal. I think it looks great. Um, and so that was, yeah, really outstanding work from a guy who doesn't see it. They see a few sheep, but not like a guy would see that's based in Wasilla for yeah. sure. Or you get, or you get guys that, that are, uh, that are big more, do more big horns and it's just a different structure. They're just a different structured sheep. They're a lot more dainty. Mm -hmm. Whole different animal. So on the, on the sheep though, yeah, you want to keep killing them and stuff, but you're, you're to the point now, I don't know when I'm going to be to your level because I'm pretty much an expert. I've shot one ram. So guys guys ask me about sheep hunting. I'm like, I don't know. I send them to you. I'm like, I don't know. That's Tyler. I don't know anything about sheep hunting. You know? Um, it's steep and it's hard. That's all I know. And they're smart. But uh, you're to the point now where you're not just whacking the first sheep that you see that's legal. Or what's your criteria that you're holding out for? Uh, it kind of depends on the trip, actually. I... Uh... I'm not as picky as like some guys. I, I know some 
some old timers that have been like, yeah, well, you know, I shot, you know, three or four or five and then, and then, you know, would only shoot them over 40. I don't know. I, I went, because the last time it was 2016, I was holding out for a really, a really big one. And, uh, I passed three legal rams, and then finally I was trying to kill this heavy broomed one that I ended up killing the next year, and I didn't kill one that year. And then so I was feeling a little less picky the next year. Last year I took my I took my recurve and was hunting by myself for most of the season and or most of most of the time I was able to hunt. And uh, I with with the recurve I'll just shoot the first legal one I I can find. Oh um, yeah, and and chance at um and i ended up killing i ended up you know story i ended up killing him with a rifle the last night we could hunt i you know basically chased him around for 12 ish days i want to say yeah 12 days of the season anyway um and just i i thought i I had them figured out they were in a pretty good pattern hitting this mineral lick and i it was a good spot and right you know, after I figured out how I was going to kill him, my tent blew up in a storm and had to bail out and then come, you know, dry everything out and come back, kind of refit and come back. And then when I figured out, you know, they're still doing the same thing. The next day they decided to leave that drainage and I just followed them around for four or five days and a buddy came in with me. And then the last night we were able to hunt before we'd have to have to come back home uh we ended up just popping both the legal ones with the rifle which was still a lot of fun i mean it was it was a really cool experience yeah you know i cannot um, imagine how challenging it is to get a sheep with your trad bow or any bow but tyler tyler (laughs) told me that's crazy tyler told me he's comfortable to like 50 55 yards if i'm grouping like at 40 i'm like oh i'm doing good and then i I call him and he's like oh yeah i'm just shooting out to 70 today in my recurve i'm like what an idiot i am so (laughs) how hard is that uh to to like to shoot to stop or or just just uh, to stop sheep with a bow it's a pain in the ass i (laughs) i don't know it's I, a lot of it depends on where, well, almost all of it depends on where they're at. You know, I'm sure there's like, there's people that are a lot sneakier than I am. And maybe that's something I just need to work on. But when there's no cover, you just can't do anything. There's, there's nothing you can do, you know? So I would, I would, I would try, I'd try to stick as close to them as I could. You know, usually I spend an all day within 300 yards of them yeah. and and, you know, if something wasn't working out, I'd have to back out and try another way. And I just get kept getting dead ended. And uh, and the spot they were finally they, they, the spot they would go every day, they would get one day. They they all went out of sight down there. And it was like they were like 300 yards. And it was all like an, an, a pretty gentle slope to them that was covered in, in moss and, and tundra and stuff. And I knew it'd be quiet, so I just ran down to them, and I, I just literally like you know, or fast walked down to within sixty yards of them. I was, uh, or was it sixty five? Because I got down behind a little hump, and they're kind of down. There's, a, I'm kind of on top of a bench, and they're down on the next level, and kind of feeding towards me. I peek up, and I range the ones back. It was sixty five, and they were all feet, you know, kind of moving towards me. And I thought, all right, I'm going to get like a 30 yard shot. They ended up zigging when they should have zagged, and uh, <laughs> yep. and 
came into sight at like at like 80 yards and and so i really couldn't do anything i was busted and they ran off and they didn't spook hard i just kind of i was wearing a white hoodie and i just decided to act like a sheep because no one was there to see how ridiculous i looked and they <laughs> They calmed down and kind of fed out of sight, and I knew, and they didn't. I didn't see them pop out on the other side of the bowl, so I figured they laid down, and uh, I got the heck out of there. I thought I, sh- I was like, man, I should maybe crawl in this little. There, there was kind of a little uh, drainage wash that I could crawl in and be out of sight. And I thought about that, but I'm like, ah, they're not coming back today, for sure. After I kind of blew them out of here, so. I backed up, got on top of the ridge, snuck down, got to like 150 yards from them above them, and they stood up and went right back over there. Nice. So that was a little that was a little frustrating, but I that's when I kind of figured out how I knew I knew if they kept doing that routine, I was going to get a shot at least. And uh, then you know my tent blew up and things went haywire. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah, that's just a normal day sheep hunting. We can get more into that in your podcast later, but. Uh... Yeah, that's pretty wild. And you, your plan is you got to be close, like you said, 300 yards. So when they make a mistake or put themselves into a position that compromises them, you can slip in there like you did and make your move, right? So you're not sitting two miles away looking through a spotter and say, oh, that would be a good time to be on, on top of them right now. Yeah, that's and that's kind of the advice I've got from like guys like Jonah Stewart or guy and yep. you know some other guys that, that have killed several of them with a bow is you, you know, you definitely you have to wait for the right opportunity, but you also have to be ready for that opportunity. Yeah. Just kind of, and that and it makes a lot of sense, you know. And that's what I tried to do. And after after they left that drainage and following them around, you know, there was a lot of you know I was was right there like within rifle range, waiting for them to make a mistake, and they just never did. Yep. And do they ever see yeah. see you even with a white sweatshirt? Does that spook them, or do they just not care? Um, they, yeah, they saw me and I just kind of tried to act casual and disinterested. Like I literally was crawled on my hands and knees. And <laughs> I can picture I'd it. <laughs> act, yeah. I mean, I'd act like I was eating and then looking at him, I was just acting, not acting like a predator, you know? And then yeah. I'm sure like it, it spooks them a little bit. And <clears throat> I was a little surprised what I was able to get away with. I figured when they spotted me that close, they'd be three miles maybe three miles away you know and, and or leave the country and they didn't you know they stuck around so that is surprising uh, it, and there i'm sure there's area there's places where you're not going to get away with that you know I've heard, I've heard areas that they're used to like down down around anchorage i've heard some of those areas where they're used to seeing hikers all the time you know if you look like you're dressed like a hiker and you and you're not acting sneaky and doing weird, sneaky, sketchy stuff, then they don't, they don't really get spooked of you that easy. Huh. But that's all, that's all hearsay. I, I, it's not from my experience. I don't know. Yeah. I kind of want to transition Tyler into sheep and gear a little bit. Um, but as far as whites, do you bring those on rifle hunts and everything? I mean, obviously archery is a whole different ball game because you're sitting there at 300 yards thinking, man, give me any rifle. I could kill this thing a hundred times over. But as far as the rifle hunting and stuff, is that uh, a go-to that you need to have in your pack? Is bringing whites with you? No, I'd say I I've never brought whites when I'm rifle hunting, and I've never like been in a situation where I felt I really needed them. I mean, there's been situations where maybe it would have let let it happen a little quicker, but I I mean, as long as you're you're reasonably patient, you know, there's 
I don't, for me, I don't see a reason to bring them during rifle, rifle on a rifle hunt. Gotcha. Um, going back to gear a little bit, what are you going to, since your tent did blow up this year, what are you going to switch to? Are you, are you trying out a couple? I think you said. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't, that's kind of been on the back burner. So I need to actually start thinking about that and, and get a replacement. I do like that. The one that blew up on me is the MSR hubba hubba, the two man. Yep. And I really like that tent. I may, I may just try to get another one because it was kind of, I mean, it's almost kind of a freak deal. Um, but those in that pole set was the, I think you, I've heard you could get carbon fiber poles, like carbon pole sets now for it. Um, and those, that set's been used and abused pretty hard. So it could have had something to do with it. I don't know. Um, but. Uh, I, I really like that tent for the weight and the comfort, like in the gear storage. If you have two guys, I have that. I have the extra vestibule for it. Um, you know, court, I don't know. And looking at that, looking at the Hillebirds, and, and I mean, I think it's pretty hard to go wrong with those. They're yeah. pretty bulletproof. But I do need to. I do need to replace it with something. I'm not. I'm not ready to go the floorless route. I've had to set camp too many times in real wet spots yep. or wet conditions that. Without a wood stove, you know, it just would be pretty miserable. So I like I prefer having a floor. Um, yeah, but I agree. aside from that, I I don't really know what I'm going to go with yet. When you say blow up, was it a crazy windstorm? Because I know weather gets crazy. Yeah, up there. yeah, it was it was a bad windstorm. And I when I was I I walked by these rams on like the eighth and kind of looked at them and left them alone and I was trying to get to another spot. And I spent a day and a half looking around that other spot and couldn't find any rams. So I decided to come back and hunt these ones because I knew there was a legal one. And uh, where they were and where I was when I came back, I mean, I had to set my camp on top of a ridge. And I just kind of, I, I tried to protect it as best I could. You know how at the ends of a, ends of set, it's, it was kind of at the end of a saddle. That wind, will, that wind will funnel right through the middle of a saddle. Yep. And it tends to be windy spots anywhere in those saddles, but I kind of went off the backside a little bit in a flat spot that was not, you know, totally skylined, exposed to the wind. Um, it was kind of the best of a, of a bum situation, but 99% of the time you'd be just fine camping right there anyway. But uh, yeah, the wind woke me up at like, I knew it was some weather was moving in and I put the sheep to bed and the wind woke me up at like 1030 and it just kept getting progressively worse and worse. And I, you know, I'd go outside and drag big rocks over and made a wind break. Um, and it did, it, it hardly, I don't work. think it helped. And, you know, I'm fixing guy lines and, and I had in that tent, you know, the, the kind of weaknesses of that tent is if the wind's blowing from the end hard enough, it can the it can fold the joint over the other way where the three poles come together and push that it can push the end of the tent down in. And so the way I fix that is I, I can I can guy a trekking pole out underneath the, that joint to support it and keep it from folding. And then the other weak point is if the wind's coming from the side it'll push the, there's a cross pole that kind of holds the tent out and uh, it can push that cross pole down pretty hard. So I guy out a, a, a trekking pole underneath that, the end of that pole to support it. And 
I had that, and it was still, I was had both of those supported and trying to, it was like the wind was hitting from three or four different directions almost, and it was just swirling on top of that ridge, and uh, finally at like two o'clock in the, two o'clock in the morning, it just, it, the wind died for like five seconds, and then hit it and just snap snap the poles in like three spots and uh that's when you know it's bad it gets calm you're like "Uh uh-oh yeah i'm like this i was outside when it happened too i was trying to fix a guy line and i'm like this is not gonna be good yep (laughs) and and uh yeah it snapped i said well i guess i'm guess i'm going home now (laughs) yeah that's that gets into a survival situation for sure let me know what you end up on tents i know you do for outdoor life you do some gear and review and stuff like that but uh i've looked at some of the hillebergs they're not cheap i've heard they condensate a bit but they are pretty bomb proof and i've looked i think they got a like a three season two man version that's like a decent sheep tent that i've kind of looked at so let yeah, me know what yeah. let me know what route you go yeah i'll have to check that out and i'll keep you i'll keep you posted on that i'm sure that wasn't your first you know experience with tents being ruined by wind was it uh that was actually i think i mean i've had like so i've had some sketch a few spots that were like yeah i don't know how much more this is gonna take but that's the first one that actually like failed on me wow yeah i mean sheep hunting weather can get really bad (laughs) what's your craziest memory of sheep hunting or you know sketchiest experience you've had oh man that one's right up there the only thing that made it you know, kind of okay was I was, I was just a few hours from the truck, you know, it took me, well, it took me like nine hours or so to get back to the truck. But, uh, you know, aside from that, it would have been really bad because my rain, you know, I've talked about that, my rain gear completely failed in like 45 minutes and it was, it was blowing as hard as I've ever experienced on a sheep hunt. And, uh, I know my buddy Frank was in the Alaska range at the time and, and, he he said they spent all night holding holding their tent up and they weren't on a ridge line. So yeah, I, I it's only a guess is how how hard it was blowing. But that was that was pretty bad. Um what the heck else? I'm trying to think. I mean, I've had some sketchy, some sketchy stream crossings that like I don't know. Mo- it seems like it's always worked out okay, but it could have been you know, you're teetering on the edge of having things go very, very badly. Um, um, yeah, that's yeah, always no, worried you, me, crossing streams and stuff, you know, I especially... That flash flood. Yeah, flash flood or packing meat out or even just a heavy pack going in. I try and un- try to remember to unbuckle my stuff, you know, because if you go down, um, you want to be able to roll out of that thing, I think, so you're not... When you get 120 pounds on your back, it could just drown you. If you're not able oh to yeah. Get out. Well, that and if you know, and if it's a stream, a lot of those streams that are running super hard, they're running hard <laughs> enough, hard enough to sweep you off your feet. 120 pound packs, nothing. They're going to be flipping you over and over in the in the creek if you can't get out of it and banging your head on. I mean, hitting your head on rocks going to be like is the most dangerous thing because then you then you're out and you're going to drown. Yeah, exactly. But a lot of those creeks, from what you're experiencing, I mean, they'll flash flood and rain. And then throughout the course of the day, they'll they'll change level too, right? So maybe early in the next morning, they'll be better to cross. Yeah, yeah, typically, and a lot of them are glacial fed, and they'll like early morning typically seems to be the best time to cross them. It's like because the 
and they'll be at their highest, you know, in the afternoon and evening. But it depends on how far you are from the glacier, too, you know, because you'll get a big surge of water from melt off during the day and then it'll slow down as it cools off and uh, and and the levels will drop back down and rain stuff. A lot of times in the mountains, those creeks go up and down pretty quick. I mean, the one trip 2013 was probably the roughest year for that. And it out of 14 days, it rained, it rained or snowed like 12 of them yeah um you know pretty much all day so it was that you know that was a pretty there wasn't any like super sketchy situations but that was a pretty rough trip it was miserable as freezing i had as little light on my sleeping bag and and had uh i just curled up shivering every night yeah it was no fun and that's before i got it i i you know, got it through my skull to use, use puppy gear, you know, puppy coat and pants too. So that would have come in super handy on that trip. Yeah. Those are like a must for us to have up here and stuff. But, uh, what's your thoughts on rain gear? What are you going to try this year or not try? I've listened to the podcast you put out, but I want to, I want our listeners to kind of hear what your thoughts are on Gore-Tex and Alaska rains. Yeah, I, I, cannot recommend any type of breathable rain gear for sheep hunting or goat hunting um or any kind of hunting but i think the stuff the stuff does really well i think the stuff usually does really well and especially if you're if you're in a situation where you can dry it out at night and uh oh i just saw my boy running out here with his davy crockett rifle through the window anyway (laughs) go kill (laughs) something but uh yeah, so I'm not fixing to get interrupted, but uh, yeah, the the breather, if you can dry it out frequently, like every night, if you got a camp you're going back to, you know, then it, it should do pretty well. But I, you know, and I've been pretty, pretty hardcore using like Heli Hansen or that Grundon's Neptune is very similar to that Heli Hansen Impertech. Yeah, that, that PVC type, like actual waterproof rain gear I've been on for years and all, you know. A lot of very experienced guys have, have preached that, you know, don't trust Gore-Tex, don't trust breathable stuff, because they've had had failures on it on sheep hunts. And uh, so I, that's kind of was my dig in for a long time. And I, I mean, I've tested the stuff. I've gotten all sorts of different brands of, you know, samples of the stuff and tied it over a bucket and pour X amount of water on it. And, and it all soaks through, you know, some yeah. of it faster than others. But if you can, if you can pour water, you know, you know, and not even tie it tight, but if you can tie, tie a jacket with no seams, none of the seams or anything over a bucket, pour water on it and it soaks through, it's not waterproof. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so, but I, I got a set of the Sitka um, Stormfront a couple years ago and, and find, oh, I'll give this stuff a shot. Cause you know, I hear all the arguments. Well, if it's really raining that bad or you're not going to be out in it or, you know, you're, you know, that it's, it's typically going to work and it's going to work most of the time, which and is standard more, for sheep, yeah, right? And, yeah. And it's, it's way more comfortable, way more comfortable than the rubber stuff, obviously. Um, and I used it, I, I took it, when I had the toke tag in 2018 and I used it like for a day or two, um, not, not even busting brush or anything, just kind of poking around. Um, 
and it worked well. It wasn't raining hard, just kind of drizzling. And then get it back, you know, clean, make sure it's clean and uh, and put it in dry storage. Basically, I'm pretty meticulous about how I store that stuff and took it last year. And and after my tent blew up, uh, I, you know, crawled inside and said, well, I already have my rain gear on because I was out fixing stuff. But I said, well, it's time to go home. So I crawled under my rain fly and packed up all the stuff I could carry and took off and it was like 45 minutes and i could feel and i'm walking and getting hit on my left side with the wind and it was blowing hard enough when it would i'd have to walk between gusts picking my way through the rocks and because when it would gust i'd just have to brace myself it was blowing that hard and uh i uh, and i mean i just had underwear on underneath because i knew i was gonna have to be working hard and uh and you know everything's buttoned up and and within about it was about 45 minutes of getting hit, I could feel water running down my left side. But I thought it was just I thought it was just extern, you know, on the outside of the rain gear. Sometimes it feels wet, but it's not really wet because it's just the cold. You feel the cold from the water. Yeah. Um, but in you know, another 15 minutes, I noticed my left boot was full of water. It was like completely saturated where it's squishing out when you're walking and they're brand, you know, Gore-Tex and boots will wear out after a while, but these are pretty much brand new boots. And I had gaiters on, you know, and then the rain gear over the boots. That's nuts. So, um, so I'm like, yeah, that's interesting. And then, <laughs> and it, you know, 20 minutes later, my right boot was full of water too. And I figured out that it, it, it the water was running right through the rain gear and down my body into filling up my boots. And, uh, so, I mean, I just wow. had to kind of truck it like that. By the time I got out, you know, I un- the pocket I had my, my – luckily, I put my I put my inReach in a Ziploc in a cargo pocket and because uh, I, I had no visibility. It was dark. I had to keep checking to make sure I was staying on top of the ridgeline and following the ridgeline down because I couldn't see – I couldn't see 20 feet a lot of the times, but uh, I had stuck my – phone in my in case i had to text or something i had stuck my phone in a little like old sea to summit dry sack which was a dry sack apparently and put it in my in my chest pocket and zipped it up and by the time i got back i unzipped that chest pocket and just poured water dumped it was full of water water just poured out and you uh, know my phone was toast what did sick say out. about that man i mean i'm sure you reached out to him and said hey i think that's their top of the line top shelf stuff isn't it yeah yeah it is and uh the you know, there one explanation there you know and deal with customer service they only know what they know and they're they're just trying to do their best but uh you know the the only like possible explanation from them was that i sweated in it and it clogged up the gore-tex or something um that's which they tell, it, yeah. it's yeah <laughs> it's twelve hundred dollar rain gear <laughs> you know yeah. and then and you know, from I went up the chain a little, went up the chain a little bit, and the only answer I got was that shouldn't have happened. Like, yeah, yeah, obviously, no thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, that just—I mean—that's how Alaska rains. It just rains so hard. You know, we always wear two, sometimes three pairs of rain gear with rubber over it, and still, yeah. you'll just still get soaked sometimes. But then you risk hypothermia when you're up there in the yeah. wind and you're wet. And so it's good that you were close because you know that's when it could get bad when you don't have a way to dry things out and warm up. Yeah. Yeah. I just had, I mean, I just had to keep moving. I did. I didn't really, yeah. 
I know I don't think I sat down for hours the entire way out. I just had to keep moving and was okay. But you know, and, and even you know, like the rubber stuff, it's not perfect. You'll right. you will sweat in it, but being you know, especially if you have good good layers, you know, good synthetic layers. If you're you if you're soaked with sweat, but it's your rain gears keeping the cold like fresh cold water, like that water will heat up, and you're not going to get hypothermia. But but if you can't keep the cold, the, the like fresh cold rain from running through and sucking heat out of you, it like you're not going to warm up. It just isn't going to happen. Yeah. So I was pretty, I was pretty disappointed. I was, well, I was pissed off about it because it's, I mean, them, and it's not just, it's not like just to pick on Sitka. Any, every, all of those like breathable rain gear marketing, it's, 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 I don't know. May, I'm a little biased because that happened to me, you know, but I think it's borderline criminal for, you know, false marketing um, just because this, stuff, you know, they all say waterproof and they're not waterproof. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it would be a little bit different if they said, you know, like kind of made people aware of the, the what they're good for and what, you know, what can happen because the stuff, you know, like Gore-Tex can also, it doesn't have to be, you know, I don't know whether it was just the, I assume it had something to do with the amount of rain and wind pressure just like pushing it through. But that stuff, it will fail eventually, too, if you just can't dry it out. You know, if you're sweating in it all day, every day and it's raining on the outside and you just can't dry it out, the the membranes will eventually saturate. And then it's like it's not even there. Seems like once that breathable stuff saturates, it's it's useless. Yeah, then it's just a layer. Um, you did a, back to gear, you did a pretty good boot review and stuff. What did you, uh, take away from that this year? What boot did you, did you end up using that you really liked? I mean, I know everyone, every day there's 50 different posts about boots on social media and forums and stuff and everyone's foot's different, but what did you, uh, pull away from that that you really ended up liking? Man, I liked the, uh, I, and the ones I used last year were the low, uh, Alpine, low Alpine experts. And uh, I've been using, I mean, low has fit me really well. So that's, you know, that's one reason. Um, but the, I've been using the low to bets for quite almost like eight or nine years. And I really like those, but I, I wanted something that was just a little bit stiffer. And these are, are that boot. They're, they're not quite, they're not like Koflax stiff and they do soften up a little bit, you know, once you pack around in them, but they are they're stiffer than the Tibets. They have a really hard, hard sole that you can dig into the hillside pretty well. You know when you're toe climbing or side hilling. Yeah. Uh, they did like and the the rubber on the sole is very hard, so you know right around the edges it did get pretty chewed up from just like you know rock that black rock and whatnot. But, uh, I mean, it was kind of normal I'm, and I'm a pretty hefty guy, so I'm, I'm pretty tough on boots anyway. Um, but they, you know, they were super comfortable, nice and like a, a nice level of stiffness for me. And they're kind of a leather synthetic upper. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, that, so th- those are my favorite boots of the, of the test. I, I got a set of those, the, uh, Hanwha Omega GTXs that are, I think it's Omega GTX that's, and that's a hefty boot. They're super comfortable for me, but they are heavy and they are like, they're leather and they're almost Koflax stiff. Like they're, that would be a good, like goat, goat hunting boot. I wouldn't necessarily want to use it for, 
for a sheep hunt where I got to walk where I'm walking, you know, putting on 50, 60 miles. Yeah. Um, in a, in a sheep hunt, they're, they're heavy, but, but for like a short range, like super steep country, rough country hunt, those things are awesome. Um, and I think they do, they do really well. I didn't have them on the last goat hunt I went on and I uh, kind of wish I would have, but and I just got a set of, uh, what the heck are those? I forgot the, the name of them. It's a, it's a set of low mountaineering boots. That's totally synthetic. There's, they're not leather and the jury's kind of out on them. I'll, I'll just have to see this summer what I think of them, how well they'll hold up the, but they're, they're totally synthetic and the rand is like a different synthetic material. It's not like your typical glue on rubber rand. It's, uh, it's actually poor and it's in a, like kind of a snakeskin pattern. So it's not solid, but it gives your, it gives that fabric some protection from the rocks and it's actually poured into the, like poured onto the fabric. So it's not, it's not just glued on, but the soles are a little, you know, the soles are a little thin, but they are a softer rubber. So they should last. Okay. Um, they're super, they're super stiff and, uh, and very light. They're like way lighter than any other boot I have. So, you know, well, nice. the jury's out. If they hold, if they hold up well, they could be a really good boot. But they're spinny. They're like five hundred bucks. So I would hope that they last more than more than one season. Yeah, yeah. Boots can be a game changer for hunts, and you know, the thing with sheep and goats is you have to have stiffer boots than when you're out like moose hunting and stuff. So. We have a whole collection <laughs> of different yeah, I've, kinds. I've gone through a ton of boots, and we'll probably do a podcast on that. But I had a set of the Loa Sheep Hunters, had Kenetrex, wore those out. Everyone said Loas are great, got those, and they just killed my feet. Every way I laced them, skipped a lace, different insoles, uh-huh. just smoked my feet. And they were comfortable, a little heavy, um, but pretty yeah. nice. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was using, like, half a roll of Uco tape coming off a, a mountain goat hunt with Tana and uh, yeah. on the tops of my Man. feet, which is really strange. And I tried different lacing techniques and called them, and they wouldn't take them back. So I have them now. Um, I bought a set of the the ones Kuyu sells, those Scarpas. Similar, I just looked up the Alpine one. Similar to that, yeah. kind of a lower mountaineering-style boot. Pretty stiff, but not, like, plastic boot stiff. And then uh, – yeah. I went and called Lathrop and Sons. They do that whole custom foot, uh, foot boot fit deal where you step on the carbon inlay and then you trace out basically how your foot, um, the weight of different pressure points on your foot, and you get a custom yeah. boot molded around that. So I'm going to try that because I think I just got weird feet, and that's kind of been not my breaking point, but that's definitely a factor into you know affecting your hunt or coming out early, all the things that kind of run through your head, you know. You need good feet. Oh yeah, it, it's it's huge. It's huge. Um, yeah, I mean it can't. You know, I would yeah, like a good set of boots is more important than buying a fancy rifle. Even you know, I mean, oh yeah, it's it's just such a it's just such a critical item and makes such a difference. You know, like that's one. I'm all for I'm all for getting a bargain because although although these days. You know, I can usually get, you know, I get a lot of perks from working through outdoor life and, and I get a lot of gear for free. But, uh, I mean, the first like six, seven, you know, five, six, seven years I was sheep on, I just had to scrounge what I could afford and, you know, win a couple of years with just like $80 leather Cabela's boots and oh, man. <laughs> junk, junk gear and like, 
you know, and, and, and so I can definitely appreciate, I can appreciate a part and, and I don't really, and I hate seeing people like kind of bamboozled into, into buying, buying, spending extra money on stuff. That's not gonna, not gonna do them good. You know I mean? Not to keep on the, the ring gear horse, but like that, I'm like, you know, you got people spending $1,200 or more, Right. on a set of rain gear that they can't actually depend on in a survival situation. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, it's expensive too, is the yeah. problem. A lot of that stuff and that kind of the, the hard part, I've been buying a bunch of hunting gear within the last month. Tana can testify. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, when you start buying suppressors and spotting scopes, your bill racks up pretty quick, but, uh, um, I'm excited. I just bought that new ATX Swarrow. I'm really excited to have that thing because that thing is just crystal clear. Um, nice. And uh, but when you go to the sheep hunting thing, it seems like you can find the light. Maybe not the best, but a good compromise of light and some durability and functionality. But you're just paying outrageous amounts of money. But going into that, I'm not a super ounce counter, and you know me, I'm not. I'm a pretty small guy. I'm like six two, two fifty four <laughs> when I wake up. So your pretty typical sheep hunter build is not what you. I'm not your iconic sheep hunter. You know, like I'm, I'm right in. I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> oh, you didn't do a thousand pushups before we got on the phone call this morning. I thought about it. Yeah, I <laughs> thought real hard. I know, I know. I love you. I love your workout regimen on Facebook. I've been doing sixteen ounce curls all summer, boys. Ready to hit the Rams. <laughs> um, but what's your uh, what's your kind of final pack weight? Say without your gun, without water, going in. And uh, I've heard I've heard rumors about you. I talked to a buddy the other day. Oh, that Tyler Frill, he'll just go and he'll see a sheep 15, 20 miles away, and he'll just start going. And, uh, so you're going some long distance, you know, so what's your pack weight and, uh, where are you looking to shave weight and where are you looking to obviously the rain gear, the rubber stuff's a little heavier, but it's worth it. Yeah. I've usually been, I've been the past couple of years around 55 pounds, which is like compared to when I first started out and had, well, a didn't, didn't, you know, wasn't as learned and, uh, and just had, you know, had, couldn't afford, you know, some of the nice, like lighter weight gear I have now, like the old Cabela's pack frame and stuff. I would go in with 70, if I was doing 75 pounds, like I'm doing pretty good yep. um, back in the day, <laughs> you know? So now like it's been, you know, not counting water and stuff like 55 pounds or so. So I think, you know, probably in the 60 to 65 pound range loaded, um, one thing I did get to, I actually got to do a review on for the NRA hunting magazine, American Rifleman's, a, uh, the new, uh, that Weatherby Backcountry TI. I do have one, I already have one like fancy mountain rifle that my buddy Steve Hollenbeck built for me that's pretty, that's, that's a slick rifle. I really like it. But for a production rifle, this, uh, I'm pretty stoked to get to try out this Weatherby. It's, it's slick. It's like, under the the rifle without the scopes like 5.9 pounds or is it 5.9 i know with with a with a three to nine by 40 scope four rounds of ammo and four rounds of ammo the thing's 6.6 pounds five ounces wow so that that's is good that's pretty cool what caliber it's, uh it's that new 6.5 weatherby rpm okay yeah i have um, i have a question on that for you you're 
you're a big advocate of guys not going over scoped because that that chews up a lot of weight like a night force i have in my rifle that thing's two pounds it's an amazing scope you know and you can see their nose hairs move at 500 yards but can you touch a little bit about i'm i maybe i'm asking this because i want you to sell my wife but i'm i got a 338 ultra mag i'm sheep hunting with and it's great gun but it's 10 pounds 11 with the bipod and loaded obviously overkill for sheep you're not shooting a sheep at 800 yards for the most part because you got to get close to judge them and wind and stuff like that but what's your thoughts on caliber selection and the scope? You know, is three to nine enough for what you're sheep hunting with? Yeah, and actually, three to nine is a little uh, is a little big, but a forty millimeter objective. Now, this the one I have on here is like a, I think it's a Leupold VX3i, and it's a little it's lighter than some of the previous ones. So, the ones I prefer, I've been preferring over the years, have been either have been a a two to seven by 33, like a VX two with the CDS dial or a VX three. I think it's like a two and a half to eight by 36. It's just a little bit bigger, but I think this for this 40 millimeter scopes, like two ounces heavier than a 30, than the 36 millimeter scope that's on my, on my, uh, cut my other cut, my custom gun. Um, but yeah, the, like, even seven power is plenty of is in my opinion is plenty of magnification for for sheep hunting. Um, you almost always, with a little bit of patience, can get to a reasonable, uh, you know, reasonable shooting distance. The farthest one I've ever shot was four sixty, and that was a, that was a poke. But I shot him with a seven a seven power scope and didn't have any any trouble. And I mean, I've got a I've got several steel targets, but I've got a twelve by twelve inch steel target that i can plug at 500 yards with with that little six five and uh and that seven power scope all day long and i know part of it comes you know i, I used to shoot a lot of ser- competitive service rifle where you were at that time you couldn't use scopes and you had to you're shooting iron sights at 600 yards yeah and and then you know shooting at a thousand yards with 10 power scopes and and you just don't Net, you don't need to see as much as you think you do. Um, you know, if you have, unless you have a super fat reticle, you know, your, your reticle is not going to cover up the whole target at a reasonable range. And frankly, most people shouldn't really be shooting over 350 yards at, at sheep um, in most conditions, given the wind and all that stuff. So, yeah, I think, I think, I think it's just pointless to carry a bigger scope because you're not going to utilize the extra magnification uh, that that scope gives you and sheep hunting up here. You don't necessarily, yeah, some areas you might, but you don't light gathering for your rifle scope. Isn't as big a deal for sheep hunting as like, I'd say moose hunting. Yeah. yeah get a big, throw a big old objective on there. Cause a lot of your moose hunting is going to be at the crack, you know, before the sun's up or after it's gone down. Um, but uh, yeah. And, and as far as calibers go, Man, I think just like medium soft kicking calibers are hard to beat for sheep, you know, um, anywhere from like a, I mean, I think a 22-250, aside from the wind drift with it, I think a 22-250 be a hell of a sheep round. Um, anywhere from that up through like, I've killed a bunch of them with a 25-06, that's a fantastic one, 270 is fantastic, um, you know, and you get you can go a little hotter like this, you know, this six five weatherby rpm is like 3100 feet per second with a 140 grain bullet i mean it's 
and with, with the CDS dials, all that's kind of, I, I would just get, you know, shoot a caliber you like to shoot um, and a rifle that you're very comfortable shooting because especially with CDS dials, it takes all the, you know, you used, a lot of guys used to really like the fast cartridges because you didn't have a CDS dial and you could sight it in three inches high at 100 yards and still be dead nuts at 300. Yep. You know, you wouldn't have to, you would you don't have to guess or hold over. And now with these C, with the CDS dials, you don't have to guess at all, you know. So and you, you and on, on a sheep, you typically have plenty of time to set up comfortably for your shot. Um, so, yeah, I- anything in that range, you know, it's kind of whatever tickles your fancy as far as calibers go. But, you know, I've killed I've killed a bunch of them now with six with a six five Creed more. It, shall, it knocks the shit out of them and uh and a little bit hotter you know i killed kill three two or three with my my like beefed up 270 which is it's a 280 improved neck down to 270 and then uh and i killed a bunch with a 25 out six so yeah i mean you it's really like getting pretty nitpicky if if you if you think or you're even got it you know really ask what's the best caliber for sheep because there isn't the best one you know yeah, they're Anything not super sh- tough. No, they're 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 wusses. If you if you put a even if you make a a less than ideal shot, if you hit them solid, you are going to recover them. Yeah, good deal. Um. So yeah, and the other thing, you know, I would say bipod's big for me. Um, I carried it. I started carrying a Harris. I initially I carried it on my rifle, and then I started carrying it in my backpack until I was on the stock, and then pop a, the bipod on there, but. Um, I got, I got one of those, uh, Spartan precision equipment, javelin bipods, the carbon fiber ones, and they're, they're spendy, but man, they're nice. They're like half the weight of a Harris. Um, and you just keep them in your pocket or on your bino harness. And, and they, if you haven't, if for those who haven't seen them, they, they, there's a sock, a magnetic socket that, that replaces your, uh, your front sling swivel stud and, uh, and you just pop the bipod in that socket and, and you're ready to roll. Yeah. And uh, I actually got one of the, the they made a, a, a javelin light one too, which is even lighter. Um, it's a little bit thinner, thinner diameter legs, whatnot. I think it's, you know, they're, like I said, they're expensive, but for a sheep hunting bipod, I don't think you're going to get any better than that right now for what's available now. Can you run that just on the gun full time? I like to have the bipod so I can extend the legs and set the gun down, you know, saves the stock from rocks and barrel dings and stuff. Or is it meant to uh, just be carried in your pocket and put on for the stock? It's meant to just be carried on your pocket, in your pocket. Cause it doesn't that, at least that model doesn't fold up like a, like a Harris or something like that, or an Atlas or something like that. But, uh, or maybe Atlas is not the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, Atlas. Atlas that's, that's probably where I'll go. They're, they're expensive too. I think pretty similar, maybe a little lighter than a, than a Harris, but they have that pan adjustment so you can actually track the animal, you know? Yeah. Um, cause I have, I have one of those on my, on my RPR, but, uh, I wouldn't take that thing sheep hunting, but those, those javelins, they're nice, but you can, you know, you think it's a pain, but it's, it's really like, if it's in your pocket, you just grab it, pop and you're done like, and set it up if, because it is nice to be able to set your rifle up on your bipod when you set it down. Yep. Nice. So, as an avid sheep hunter, um, how has sheep hunting changed since you 
maybe first started sheep hunting until now, you know, as the industry involves and as more people get out there and as gear changes and stuff, would you say it's changed much in the last 10 plus years? Uh, yeah, in some ways, I mean, there's, there's definitely backpacks are one thing, um, that has, that has gotten a lot better even since I started, you know, there were obviously better pack frames to start out than a, than the Cabela's outfitter when I started. But um, there wasn't this like hybrid, you know, like ex- external like hybrid type frames available, at least that I knew of. Um, the first, as I remember, it was uh, 2011. It was um, the first time I used that Kafaru. It was when Kafaru came out with with their uh, Timberline internal frame packs, and I actually the one I used was the original prototype. And I used that for several years, but that was a huge, that made a huge difference, um, in comfort and they carry the weight well. And then stone glacier came along, um, and the stuff's just getting better, and better. I, 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 aside from just like carrying around the yard type thing, I don't have much experience with stone glacier, but, um, I, I've been using Kafaru for a lot of years and those packs are, are very comfortable and are very dependable. Um, that's, that's one thing that's changed a lot. Uh, there's definitely see, seems to be a lot more people into sheep hunting, but I don't know if that's actually true or if you just see more of it because you're, because of social media, yeah. I'm sure, you know, writing articles and stuff like that about it hasn't helped matters much, but you know, it's still, the resources still is still doing good. You know, I mean, yep. hunters aren't the ones that are affecting the resource. It's the weather and the weather and, and, and predation. So yeah, I, I used to get a little bit out of shape, you know, worried about, uh, with, you know, all these people and I, and it's still, I think there's a lot of things, the way, the way, uh, a lot of the state lands managed with, you know, there are some areas that get that are pretty like knocked down, drag out crowded. Um, but over the years I've kind of backed off cause I think if they, they change anything, you know, they regulation wise, they tend to mess stuff up when they mess good things up when they change it. Yeah. And I'm not having any trouble finding rams or, or having a good time enjoying sheep hunting. There's still plenty of rams out there. So I've just kind of been on the back burner a little bit as far as that stuff goes, if that makes sense. Yeah. But it does, it does seem like, like sheep hunting's become the cool kid thing to do. And I mean, I like, I thought I, I I've always thought it was pretty cool. So whether 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 I'm a cool kid or a or a dork, you know, <laughs> don't I don't know, but I like sheep hunting, you know. I def, but I mean, I don't know. It's all kind of a wash. So I think a lot of that's just you see more of it because of social media. Um, I don't think that the actual like harvest statistics or participate, you know, maybe in some areas participation's really really boosted up, but. Uh, you know, overall, I think it's consistent. I think things have been moved around. We noticed a lot more people coming up in the brooks after they closed, made the Chugach all draw. Um, but that's been year, several years, too. I mean, I, I would like to get back up and hunt the brooks again here one of these years. But it's, I mean, it's almost doubled in price since the last time I've gone. It's to the point where I can't hardly justify spending that amount of money on a charter. Yeah, you what's know, it cost? I, you know, this, it was secondhand. The secondhand I heard from, you know, talk to get a quote. When we, 
when we went up and it depends slightly on the area you go and but whether you drive up north and fly or fly out of Fairbanks, it's pretty comparable, at least used to be. It was costing us two thousand bucks a person, roughly. Maybe no last time we went it was a little more than two thousand bucks a person back in twenty fourteen. And now I think it, I heard it was thirty seven hundred dollars a person. Wow. Yeah, and yeah. it's probably only going to go up. And that's just going with a transporter, so they just charge you a flat rate. Yeah, yeah. You know, you tell them where you want to go, or you pick it, settle on a place to go, and they and they tell you the rate. And it's, I, I don't know what the breaking point uh, of it is, or, you know, maybe they just have other ways that they would rather make money than, than do that. But I, I can't just, as much as I want to go hunt some of these places, I can't justify 4000 bucks at this point in my life when I can hunt several good areas for a few, you know, a couple tanks of gas and, and just getting, I mean, the last, uh, since yeah, 2015, 16, 17, 18. And last year I've just all I've hunted in one year. I did draw, draw the toke tag, but I've just hunted, used my four wheeler to get off the road and then hike from there. Yep. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. I don't know that many people that are, you know, as successful as you are that don't own a plane, you know, and, and don't fly and can just do it with road access. Like, that's awesome. So, I mean, I know you're super hard hunter, obviously, you know, you're pretty tough between the ears. So what do you attribute your main success to with hunting? Um, probably just persistence, I would think. And go, you know, I don't know, going and sticking with it, even on a sheep hunt, like, I think a lot of people give up after, you know, almost after three, maybe three hard days. If they're, if they're not seeing much, you know, and you see it with other people you pass coming out, like if people don't see much, you know, in a couple of days, it gets, it gets pretty discouraging because you're working your ass off, you know, you're working hard mm-hmm. and it hurts. It hurts when you wake up in the morning, it's hard to get out of the sleeping bag. I mean, that's one of the hardest things is unzipping that bag first thing in the morning. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> It's like take a big breath and rip that zipper down and get dressed and then you you know you get moving and you can do your thing. But uh, it's yeah the mental side of it's definitely tough and sticking with it, especially if you're not seeing sheep because there's I mean there's there's been a couple hunts where I didn't kill anything and it wasn't looking good till the very last day you know. Um, so sticking it out's definitely a big thing. Um, spending time glassed and just being patient and watching. And not just thinking you you always have to be hiking your butt off. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people I think wa- a lot of people I know walk right by sheep. Um, you know, sometimes if you're if you're in a decent spot where you can see a lot of country, it may pay to just sit there and glass for a day and a half or through at least a couple three feeding cycles. Because there's, I mean, there's so many folds and nooks and crannies in that country, even if it looks wide open, that that. All it has to be, you know, 10 rams are in a little gully and all they got to do is take 10 steps and they're out. Of, you know, they're, you can see them and take 10 steps back and you can't see them anymore. Yep. Um, so, I mean, it's it's nuts. Like I, I you know, the, my, my toke tag, I spent was it three or four days hunting around the heads of three different drainages and had seen just a handful of rams. And and a couple of legal ones, but nothing I was really wanting, wanting to put my tag on. And uh, 
And I, what I saw, I saw one, I just caught one group of them laying in the sun on a ridgeline about four miles away and decided, well, I'm going to try to get closer to them. And the next day I took me all day to get up on top of this ridgeline, you know, through this base and long story short, but it was a pretty, some pretty tough country, but I, I was like less than a mile from where I'd been camping and hunting. And I just peek up on the ridge and was at five, six five or six rams come walking around the corner, you know, not all at one time, but I shot my ram like less than a mile from where I'd been camping. Um, they just, I'm sure they'd been in that basin the whole time. I just couldn't see them. Yeah. That's great advice. You know, we like to try to hunt smarter, not harder sometimes just glass and take it easy. And <laughs> sometimes you just yep. see stuff that you normally wouldn't if you were just going. Yeah. When you talk about, when you talk about feeding cycles, Tyler, are they patternable? <laughs> I don't know the biology of sheep and stuff, but the the yeah. few rams I've glassed and the one I did shoot, you know, they they fed their way in the morning, went up, you know, onto a bench where they couldn't be um, attacked from any predators, or so they thought, and then they were when they got up to go back down. I didn't know this, or it would have set up differently, but did they usually mimic that morning pattern again in the afternoon? Yeah, it that kind of very you know like lot, yes and no like they'll they all have these feeding patterns where they'll, you know, typically be up feeding early morning and feed pretty hard. And then they'll like find bedding areas midday and maybe get up for a little bit in the afternoon. And then, but they're, you know, more or less in the same general area, usually during the day, unless they decide to go somewhere. Um, it's like, chem it's like chemistry. Like it, like this is what they do until they don't, you know? Yep. Yeah, I had a I had a weird season last year. We uh, you know, we saw a ram, we were walking up and it was just foggy and then it took a break and then it broke and all of a sudden there was two rams 500 yards right above us. They weren't legal, but it's just crazy yeah. how you you think, "Oh, I'm not in sheep country. I'm getting up to the head end of this drainage, we're going to pop over top of this ridge and be in a big glacier valley and everything and they're just walking right by sheep." So I can see how that happens, but last year I was on some some rams, but some of them I saw a real big one. I don't know if I, I think I sent you footage of that one, but he was just unkillable and we watched him for two days and they didn't seem to move and they were just yeah. at the very top. And I don't know if that was cause we had such a hot record summer last year, but we were putting stocks on sheep at 6,000 feet and there were still bugs way up there and bugs were on the sheep. How do you, how do you kill a ram like that? Do you just, if it's one you want, do you just sit there and watch him until he makes a move somewhere else? Yeah. The, if it's one, if it's one, the one you want, you know, that's pretty much what you have to do, you know, and maybe they, maybe they won't move while you're there, but eventually that sheep's going to do something, you know, and, and sometimes, I don't know, some of the sheep that get big, I think get big, you know, they got good genetics, but they get big because of, I, I almost, I don't think it's necessarily intuition, but I think it's just the habits they develop are good for their safety. Yep. <laughs> you know, maybe, you know, they, they just, happen to live in spots and, and do things that that keep them safe you know like the typical oh i was sneaking in and and he just decided to get up and walk off into no man's land you know like sheep that maybe just i don't think it's necessarily something tells them to get up and go but they just like are a little bit red you know maybe a restless like they don't stay too long in one spot i you know i don't know it's all it's all speculation but i would say i would also add um 
in different areas. Sheep in some areas are, are very patternable. Typically, a lot of that super rough country, um, they'll, you know, they'll, a lot of times they'll bed and spend the day up in spots that are just totally inaccessible. But, you know, there's no food up there, so they have to come down to feed and and they'll and they'll do that repeatedly and take the same routes but a lot of places like up in the brooks range i don't really find that to be true just because they're typically because i mean they can get food in a lot of places they they will follow a feeding cycle but it's not like they're they're spending their entire life on one mountain you know yeah it's like they're, you know, they're kind of, they can move around. There's, if there's escape cover around, you know, they'll go kind of lay down up towards that. But they may, they may be in a different drainage or on the other side of the valley the next day. You never know. That's true. And I don't know if we'll ever be to your sheep level. Probably not. Not with where we live. Well, I'm just, I, uh, <laughs> but it's awesome just, to listen. I don't know. I've just, all I, all, I've just been, just been doing it for a long time is all like, it's not anything I'm dead. I'm certainly not like any, any, I don't think I'm any like super special type of hunter. You know, that's just kind of what caught got its hooks in me. And I've been doing it a long time. Yeah. I keep trying to draw that toke tag, but it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yep. We all are. <laughs> We're trying. Yeah. Yeah. I maybe, yell. Yeah, I'm sure if you put in for Delta, you'd draw that one. Everybody else I know has. I've drawn Delta, but <laughs> no. waiting for Toke. Oh, yeah. He did it. Yeah. Done that. So, yeah, that's, uh, I'm a little jealous there. But yeah, hopefully you get it. It's a really, it's a really cool, a really cool area. I kind of, I mean, I got a really nice ram in there and I was just barely dipping my toes, really. Really? Yeah. So it was, it, it's a, it's a cool, some cool country. So, how many rams do you have over 40? Zero. Zero. <laughs> Sore subject. Yeah, it's, I've been on hunts where we've killed 40 inch rams, but it's just not, it's never been my, never been my ram. I I thought the one and in, in, I killed in Toke was, was going to break 40, but I, you know, that's a long story too, because he, he came over the hill and bedded down and I could only see from his bridge of his nose up. And I could see how far he was flaring out, you know, and how fancy that the end of his that curl was. And I just couldn't tell how deep or shallow he dropped. And he wasn't as deep as I thought. But uh, he should have been 40. He had he had one short year, you know, that what what winter it was that was real rough on him. But he had a year that was about half the length it should have been. So that bad winter took my 40 inch ram is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I honestly don't even see that many people that get over 40. I just always think, man, how cool would it be or would it have been to live like 40 years ago in Alaska? Yeah. When these, there was just cranker yeah. rams everywhere, you know? There And they was definitely, it was definitely better. But I even talking to some of the old timers, they're like, yeah, 40 inch rams, like it takes a lot to make a 40 inch ram. They're not nearly yeah. as common as as you know some people might might make you think um i know you know some of these guys they they say like credit how good and, and before the you know and how good the western brooks used to be and and i don't know and even the eastern brooks or the entire state was a lot of it they credit due to the fact that you know back in the day when everyone could get away with airplane and wolves like crazy 
you know, and all the outfitters used to do it up there in the brooks and, you know, and they were coming off the, the, the time when they were poisoning, doing a lot of poisoning, um, that there was just, you know, they just hammered and hammered on the predators and you get some good, you know, you get some good stretches of weather, you know, decent winters and, and it's going to be great for the sheep. Um, so unfortunately, um, I don't think those measures are ever going to get me to that level again. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just a a time, a time that's come and gone. I've even heard after they made, after they made Wrangell St. Elias a park that they, that, that, you know, those, those, those rams in the country in the country that that um swank ram was killed like that ram glacier and whatnot that that those populations took a nosedive um because no one was killing the predators anymore too and and yeah you know whatever other factors may have come involved but it's that's not what it used to be either yep it, it's changing and i mean really any legal sheep is a giant in my book like if you can get a legal sheep that is hard they're they're tough animals to hunt and I don't yep. know. Adam's still trying to figure it out, but he won't take me yet. He's just like, I'm, I'm go going solo this year. I just, <laughs> I'm bringing, I'm going to bring a thousand gallons of gas in the cub and just go. And, you know, I've even thought about flying all the way to the brooks and it's just, yeah, it's hard. We don't live in, we live in moose and bear country. We don't live in sheep country. And so the logistics of a cub and there's not gas yep. pumps around every mountain range. And you're trying to figure out, you know, sheep, sheep populations and try and separate yourself from people but there's so many people with an airplane and it's such a high drive for sheep hunting i just kind of have to accept the fact you're probably going to see other people you know um but yeah, we'll figure but it out I, and i wouldn't let it dissuade you much you no. know because just you know whether it sounds kind of mean but i'm just like going about the mindset of most of most people don't really know what they're doing that's not intended to like I said it's not intended to sound mean and you know you want to help people be successful but all that's like the the you know whether it's the selfish part of me or whatever you know like if i usually if i see people like it doesn't bother me i'll figure something out um you yeah. know it kind of it can it can be a factor in how you plan what you do but you know i'm not because i see you know a couple camps i'm not going to be like you know, thinking a spot's bum or that I'm not going to be able to get a sheep because I probably will still. Yeah. Or, exactly. or at least, you know, be able to at least be able to find, find a good ram or legal rams. Yeah, absolutely. Um, since you're such a big player in the hunting industry, I kind of wanted to ask you about where do you kind of fit in there? You know, what do you see, I guess, your future to look like or where do you want to go? with the hunting industry i don't know i want to have i guess i want to have minimum involvement that lets me lets me do the things i like to do and i I mean that's kind of my whole reasoning is if i can if i can do the things i i like to do and 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 get paid for it or make make money on it um then i mean that's my goal like i to me it's kind of the whole like the industry and uh, that it's, it's kind of a means to an end, you know, cause I want to be out, hunt, I want to be out hunting more and doing the things I like to do. Yep. And, it, and it can, de- it can definitely be a touchy subject because, you know, when you start to, you know, effectively commercialize some of this stuff, it's like, I don't ever, if it, if it gets to the point where I don't, I don't, um, I'm not enjoying what I do or I'm feeling like some sort of, and there, like there's some pressure, you know, pressure to succeed obviously, but yeah. 
I don't know. I don't. I try not to take it too. I try not to take it too seriously because it's you know I want it to be real and like that. That's one of the things I think goes on a lot is people that you know rather than just wanting to further their you know being able to hunt more or, or be out in the field more they you know they kind of want the attention more than it's like they like the idea of doing this more than they like actually doing it. Yep. Um, if that makes sense, like, you know, so it, it's, and some of the stuff like the levels people will stoop to just to get attention or have people know who they are is, is pretty sad really. Um, so it's kind of getting involved. Like when I, you know, when if in getting involved in the hunting industry or as I would call it, it's kind of like it's kind of like you lose your innocence a little bit when you you know when you're a kid you think yeah. you think every out you think every outdoor rider is like you know some badass expert and and it's even worse nowadays because you have you know with social media and YouTube and all this and there's some great like some awesome like under the radar like YouTube channels and some really great content I'm not you know I don't want to sound like I'm saying there's it's not cool that so many people have access to you know share what they do because i think that's really cool but with all that you know it's like it's it's so easy to get pretty starry-eyed and once you like start getting exposed to it firsthand and getting to peek behind the curtain so to say it's pretty it's kind of disappointing you know it's not what you would the whole world's not what you would think it is there's no one you know i i haven't met anyone who's getting you know totally bankrolled to do whatever they feel like doing and not having to do anything in return for it. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Um, which, which is, obvious, which is obviously the dream <laughs> that that's the, the big dream, but you know, so if I can, I don't know, I think if I can find maintain a balance of, of being genuine and, um, you know, trying to give people good information and I like sharing stories and, and, and sharing what I'm doing as well. Um, if I can, if I can kind of, I'll maintain that while, while making enough money at it to get by and do the things I like to do. Then that's, I mean, that's kind of my goal. I don't really have a, an end game, so to speak for it. Uh, um, if that makes any sense, I'm kind of, I'm kind of ram, kind of (laughs) ranting. No, it's, it's a good ramble, but yeah, I think that's why we get along. You're, you're the real deal and you're you're humble about it and my take on the whole i mean there's every other day i just want to pull out of social media and everything and just go and hunt you know um yeah i'm off instagram just because it just because it just because it's it's fake and it's just like man the the doing the stuff the killing something and posing or doing this for likes or something is just yeah. it's beyond me it's not what hunting's supposed to be it's not about the big money it's about getting out there and having unreal experiences and stuff that you couldn't even dream about with your family and your friends and stuff and um i think that's why we we get along so well because you're just the real deal and you're pretty humble about it um talk a little bit about your podcast that was uh i think you've been almost what two years now and i've i think i've listened to most all of them it's definitely a really good alaska podcast and kind of sparked us to get this one finally going we've been talking about it for a while but touch on that a little bit no yeah it's uh my podcast called tundra talk it's uh it's been on a couple years a little over two years now um (laughs) we were discussing before before we started recording now 
it's actually I've been kind of falling off the wagon lately. This whole like COVID-19 quarantine business has kind of got me out of my rhythm. I uh, I can't, you know, everyone's supposed to stay home. So I've kind of been abiding by that, not not recording in person. And then my internet connection's been so flipping slow because I can't, I don't I can't get regular internet service where I'm at, so I have to use AT and T like a router that uses cell signal, and like it takes like ten minutes to send a picture during the day because everyone's home watching Tiger King and and like looking <laughs> news. Articles. Yeah, but and so it's been pretty frustrating, but it does seem like it's like it started to speed up a little bit you know i don't know if it's just coincidental if everyone's calming down like if everyone's quit watching the news or something i don't know but uh um i mean it's 8 15 in the morning and we're still rolling and it's like no delay so i'm I'm gonna have to probably get get back on the stick so i feel i do feel a little bad kind of getting off the wagon but at the same time you know i i've only and i'm i am going to do a q a one that episode here maybe today i'll record it i got a bunch of questions in just as like a desperation because i got to get something out but it should be good i you know and i I don't do a lot of solo episodes because i'm not great at just rambling by rambling by myself um so i try to avoid that but uh yeah we'll get back with it we do i do have quite a few episodes out and and people seem to like our bs and our flavor of bs and um you know there's a few guys that are on there pretty regular and adam you've been on of course and uh it's uh i don't know it's just fun to to talk hunting and you know if you it's real BS too and have, bs and have a good time and you know then people can glean some useful information out of it i mean that's kind of what the goal is and it seems to you know seems to seems to resound with people so that that makes me happy yeah i just like podcasts i i never listened to them before i think it was probably three years ago but he's like, do you ever listen to podcasts? And my first thought was like, no, who listens to podcasts? Those are stupid. And then I, I kind of started listening a little bit. This I've just picked up like little tips and tricks. I listened to, I think it was Brendan Burns on someone's podcast, maybe Jay Scott's, about keeping your puffy layers in a dry bag. And that's always with you no matter what. And that saved me. I mean, I don't think I would have died, but that's made nights that are horrible not suck quite so bad and make it a survival situation where you can wear your puffy layers and just little tips and tricks you know i mean i think you said on uh one of your podcasts never pass up a good flat rock to sit on you know and i mean just like i remember stuff like that and i fly airplanes hundreds of hours a year and i'm usually by myself and i mean you got to be listening to what either Katy perry or a podcast so you know (laughs) gotta put something on yeah no there it's you know, it's like, and even when I got it, I was like, yeah, yeah, jumping on the bandwagon. I think everyone that starts one, like, that's how they kind of feel. But, you know, like, there's been a few popped up and it, but it's like, why not? You know, it's not a zero sum game. If you like you start and that's why, like, I, you know, encourage you to start one, too. It's like, if you start a podcast, it's not taking listeners away from me you know, it's only helping like what you have to contribute is valuable too. Um, so it's, it's like a pretty cool time when, you know, I mean, I like listening to talk radio and whatnot, I, you know, for years. And so like just listening to conversation and if it happens to be about stuff that's entertaining to you all the better, you know, like everybody has their own stories and experiences to bring to the table. So I think it's pretty cool, you know? And I mean, 
may, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's not for everybody, but I can't, you know, I'd never fault anyone for trying, you know, if you, if you have, have a, uh, you know, if you have something to bring to the table, man, bring it. I think it's cool. Yeah. And, d- uh, definitely. And I like on your podcast one time you said, someone was saying, Oh, maybe we shouldn't talk about it. you. So this is my freaking podcast. I can talk about whatever I want. You know, and that's kind of how we started. Travis said, we're not here to make everyone happy and do that. And we've never been, Stuck in the Rut's never been that route at all. It's never been like, oh, what do our fans want us to go hunt? Or what do you guys want to see? We're going to hunt how we want to hunt. We'll talk about what we want to talk about. And the cool thing is, you know different people than I do. And we know a lot of the same folks, but it's cool to hear your resources and my resources. And I'm going to know people that you don't. And networking out there, you learn different tips and tricks and cool stories. Oh, I was just gonna say it's funny. It's well, funny, interesting, and kind of cool how you'll, uh, you know, you you listen to someone's podcast regularly. Like, I mean, you start, you feel like you know them. You know, a cool dynamic. Yeah, I know you got to get running with kids, and I got to go start being the principal. Um, but uh, kind of finish off here. What are your? You got any big hunting plans this year? Any uh, international trips? And I did Africa last year, but anything big you got coming up? Um, don't have any, I would, I would love to go back to Africa this fall again, but I, I have no idea if it's going to happen. I, I can't afford to do it on my own dime right now. Um, but, uh, not, I mean, I'm just, just ready for spring. Like I said, it finally tipped over the edge. So it's melting hard now and, um, going to be getting the boat ready here as soon as the ice goes out and, uh, wanting to put just a Royal hurting on the bears this year. I'm wanting to put three. I'd like to put three or four black bears in the freezer if I can, depending on limits and where we're where we're hunting. But uh, looking forward to that. And then I I built a during quarantine here. I built a muzzle loader out of one of those kits, and I'm wanting to shoot shoot my grizzly bear with that this spring. So that's that's at the forefront for sure. Awesome, cool. Well, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Um... Where can people check out your stuff? I mean, we talked about Tundra Talk podcast. You can just look that up. But uh, what other channels and stuff can people look at what you're doing? Um, I got I have a lot of you know digital articles and stuff on out, outdoorlife.com. Um, uh, a lot of stuff I, stuff I've been doing for years is kind of back cataloged on there that you can search if you want. Um, Tundra Talk, my podcast, pretty much. Yeah, it's pretty much on all the the podcast apps. I think I've got it on iHeartRadio now. Um, but yeah, if you just you know search any podcast app for Tundra Talk podcast, that should come up. Um, my web I have a website for it, but really it's all the website does is just is the home to the podcast because I'm not a tech guy at all, um, and I had to get a website to do it. So um, yeah, aside from that, you know, I mean, there's not too much. I gotta. Uh, a facebook page that i used to run for outdoor life called points north that they gave to me that i'm kind of trying to get transitioned over to a page just run tundra talk and start i'd like to do you know start putting some more videos together and stuff like that on my own in all my in all my spare time but uh yeah that's probably that's probably the gist of it um i'll have instagram is just uh the at the tyler Preel. cool well thanks for coming on man we appreciate it yeah, it was Everybody good catching up. Check you out because you got real stuff and you're one of the real players in the industry. So Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. It's been yep. good talking to you. Yeah, yeah thanks no so much, Tyler. That's it for today, everyone. Thanks for joining us. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review. 
and also reach out to us with any questions. Until next time.